Okay. One of the running jokes in my home between my wife Shainu and I is how much our children, how much more they look like me than they do her, right? Uh, since the kids were born, people have lent their opinion as to which parent our children look like. And I kid you not, nine times out of ten, people will say, and even Shainu's good friends will say, Shainu, I'm really sorry, but Hannah looks exactly like a J. Or, Shainu, I'm really sorry, you're going to need a third kid because Micah is mini a J, right? Uh, nine times out of ten. And every tenth person is either just trying to be nice to Shainu or has severe eyesight problems um, because it's just clear. In case you think I'm exaggerating, I have proof this morning. So I, I brought a picture. Can we show that for a second? That is Hannah Joy, my oldest daughter. That's a baby picture of Micah, my son. And in the middle, that handsome devil is the parent that those children look like. Thanks, you can take that down, right? <laughs> right, so there's, there's very little doubt as to who my children look like. Now, I, I really do feel for Shainu. I genuinely feel for her, and I try to be sympathetic and kind to her. In fact, Shainu will often tell the story that one day we were sitting together, and I said, Shainu, and I was looking at her foot, and I said, your fourth toe is exactly like Hannah's fourth toe. Now, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I had to throw her some kind of bone because... Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I have incredibly dominant genes, right? Um, I will tell you this, that I do feel for my children, and I do hope sincerely that they end up looking like Shainu, because in the looks department, Shainu has clearly won that battle, and otherwise our children are going to have a very hard time getting married, right? Um, I can tell you that Shainu did not marry me for my looks. I had a killer personality in college, and so... If my kids are going to look like me, they're going to need a killer personality if we're going to get them married. All right, my children look like me. Children resemble their parents. My children look like their father. That's not profound. That's just a simple fact of life. What if we take that simple fact of life and say, we are the children of God? So what ought that to mean? We are the children of God. What John is going to do, the Apostle John, as we're continuing in our series through 1 John, what John is going to do is he's going to take this simple fact of life and he's going to say the same simple fact is true also in spiritual life. There's this simple fact in the spiritual life, which is that you are going to look like your father. And the children of God will look like God. If God is your father, John's going to say to us this morning, then you will look like dad. Everyone looks like dad. And if God is your father, then you're going to look like him. There's going to be a family resemblance. There's going to be an image in you that resembles the image of God. We're going to look like God. Now, how does that work? Well, John's going to tell us. Our passage today is 1 John starting at chapter 2, verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. It's the passage Dennis just read for us. 1 John 2, verse 28, and we're going to chapter 3, verses 10. 1 John 2, verses 28 to 3, verses 10. Okay, you turn there. Let me pray for a moment, ask God for help, and then we'll consider this passage together. We pause now, Lord, simply to say, help us, help me. I need your help. I need to be freed by the Holy Spirit to speak boldly and powerfully and truly and fully all that you would have me to say, that I might be under your control more than even trust in my own words or preparation. 
but I also need to be constrained so that my words would not err or speak more than what you would say, but it might be a good and faithful word according to your word. We've gathered truly to hear from God, and so we pray also for your people that they might hear from God this morning to their own souls, for you know where each of us are, and you know exactly what we need to hear. There is a word that the Holy Spirit can latch onto with great power and have it penetrate our hearts and cause us to hear and see and believe and understand and produce and germinate in our hearts love for Christ and faith in him. Do a great work among us, we would ask and pray with great expectancy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pick up at verse 28. That's where we're going to start looking. Verse 28, let me read you 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. All right, let me just get you caught up to speed so that I'm not just dumping you in verse 29 or verse 28. Last week, if you were here with us, you know that we looked at chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And 18 started with John saying, children, it's the last hour. And remember, if you were here last week, he said, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Already many have come who are Antichrist, who are opposed to Christ, who don't get Jesus right. And he said, in these last hours, we've got to get Jesus right. And as he's thinking about this last hour, the idea that Jesus has come, all that remains is for him to come again. He says, when he appears, verse 28, there's going to be one of two responses. Either we're going to have confidence or we're going to shrink back from him in shame. So John says, Jesus is coming. And when he appears, there's only going to be one of two responses that all of humanity will have. We'll either be confident at his coming and approach him or will be shamed at his coming and shrink back. Confident and approach him or shrink back from him in shame. Those are the two and only possible responses. And so what John is trying to get you to see is, look, if the Lord Jesus were to come right now, I know he could come 10,000 years from now, but I also know he could come 10 minutes from now, and I also know he could come 10 seconds from now, and if the Lord Jesus were to come, if the roof of this place were thrown open and the Lord Jesus would descend and look you in the face eye to eye, would your soul have confidence or shrink back in shame? And that's what John wants you to get you to start thinking. Would you be confident? Would you look him eye to eye with great eagerness and confidence at his coming? Confident in what? in your own perfection, in your own moral standing, in your own righteousness, none of it. But that you're in him, that you're his child. That's what, in fact, the next verse is going to say, 29 is, we know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the confidence that comes from being his child, belonging to him, like a kid that sort of waits by the window for dad's car to drive home from work or runs and greets him in the driveway before he can even get out of his car, that kind of eager, anticipated confidence that this is, he's mine and I'm his. Or would you find your soul shrinking back in shame? That you, you would not be able to look him face to face and eye to eye. You would shrink back in shame. You know that you don't belong to him or live rightly according to his ways and will. And so John's saying, look, you're going to have one of two responses. Either 
in the end, you will have reason for confidence, or in the end, you will have reason for great shame. That in the end, you can't hide forever. You'll be exposed, and it'll be known to him and to all that you'd never belong to him. In fact, Jesus is saying that in the end, there's going to be a final and great shame. Jesus says that. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. And if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. And so the text is reminding us, look, for those of you that belong to him, for those of you that belong to him, what does all the shame and rejection of this world matter if in the end you'll have a great confidence? You can endure all the rejection and all the misunderstandings of this world and all the shame of it if in the end you can look him face to face and eye to eye with great confidence. On the other hand, what does all the confidence in this world and its acceptance mean if in the end you will have final and ultimate shame? What does all the propping up and acceptance and approval and confidence that comes from this world matter if in the end you will be put to final and ultimate shame? And John's saying, one of these two is going to be your response. You're either going to cower back in shame and be put to shame or you're going to approach him with great confidence like kids. Now, how do you know which you'll be, which you'll do? Look again at verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, so that's God, he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So his kids are going to run to him with great confidence. How do you know if you're his kid? Well, then, if he is righteous and you practice righteousness, you know that you've been born of him. That's just John's way of saying children are going to look like dad. And if dad is righteous and you are righteous, then you look like dad. And you have reason for great confidence. If God is righteous, dad is righteous, and you're not, you're going to shrink back in shame. And and I need you to hear, this is not a new idea. John sort of said this before, and he's cycling through ideas. A few weeks ago, we said, obedience is the evidence that you know God. Likewise here, righteousness is the evidence that you are a child of God. Because if he is righteous, then we know that those who practice righteousness, John says, are born of him. Because kids look like dad. They're going to look like him. And so that's sort of the question. Again, there's an important distinction to remember and make, which is righteousness does not make us his children. It's the evidence that we are his children. You don't become a child of God by being righteous, but you know that you are a child through your righteousness. That's perhaps minute, but it's incredibly important. You sharing God's trait does not make you God's child. It's the evidence that you're God's child. Like my daughter's hair color and eyes and skin does not cause her to become my child. It's the evidence that she is my child. That she looks like me, that she has traits like mine, does not make her my child, doesn't automatically beget her, but rather is the evidence that she was born of me. So likewise... Righteousness, John says, is the evidence that we have been born of him, that we won't shrink back in shame, but we'll have great confidence like his kids. Now, John can hardly talk about being the children of God without bursting out in excitement and enthusiasm. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, see, 
what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. That's a great verse, a verse we can keep and commit to memory. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Every word in that verse is loaded. He starts with see. Other translations say behold, look. You got to check this out. See, behold, look. And then he says what kind of, or other translations say what manner of love or how great of love. It's literally translated from what country. Like it's out of this world. It's this phrase of astonishment. See what kind of, where did this kind of love come from, the Father, that we should be called the children of God, and not just called that, and so we are. John's saying God's not just giving us an endearing term, an empty term like, hey, you're all my children. John is saying we are the children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, not just called the children of God, and so we are. He made us his children. We are truly and really his children. Okay, now maybe you're sitting there and you go, I have no idea what John is so excited about. Right? Maybe he's enthusiastic, but I, I don't get what all the fuss is about. Let me tell you what John knows that gets him so riled up. Maybe you hear the term, we're the children of God, and it sort of goes right over your head because we're all the children of God. That just seems like such a passing phrase, like a, a nice thing you say to all people. We're all the children of God. But let me tell you what John knows. John knows, sure, there's a sense in which God is father of all that he's made, but we're not all children of God. In fact, John knows that no one born of woman is born a child of God. You got to hear that again. John knows that there has never been anyone born a child of God. God has one natural son. His name is Jesus Christ. He has no other who have been born naturally his children. In fact, what the scriptures say, what John knows is that we are born not as children of God, but rather Ephesians 2.1 says we were in our trespasses and sins, dead in our trespasses and sins, and that by nature we were children of wrath. That by nature and by choice, we're born with this proclivity away from God, this inclination against God. We're at enmity with God. That by nature and by choice, we sin. And we're sinners. Now you go, oh, sin is just, you know, we mess up, we make a mistake, we trip up. No, in verse 4 of chapter 3, it's going to say, look, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So that's not just you made an occasional mistake, you made an error, you got a slip in your character. It's lawlessness. It's rebellion. It's saying, God, I know what you're saying, and I'm saying, thanks so much, but I'll do it my way. It's an active, persistent rebellion against God's ways, his will, his commands, his moral law. It's a rebellion and enmity with God. And, and the scriptures go so far as to say, listen, you want to know who you're born to? You are by nature born the children of the devil. You belong to this world and the ruler of this world, which happens to be the devil. You look far more like him than God. And what the scriptures are saying is, look, that's who God's dealing with. God's not looking at you like a cute little orphan. You're at enmity with God. 
And the world is filled with children who are opposed to God, children of the devil. So that's when you get that God looked at this world filled with the children of his enemy. And God, this is the good news. This is what Christians call the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. This is the good news. That God so loved that world of, of the spawn of Satan. So much so that he gave his only natural son his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that through the death of his natural son, we who were at enmity with God might be adopted in. We might become children. Now, lest that be lost on you of what I just said, the, ma the magnitude of that, I want you to hear that again. God the Father sent his son into the world so that he might be murdered and he would take in the very murderers of his natural son and make them his children. You, you can't have that lost on you. You heard the news this week. You heard of pain of parents who have just lost their child. You, you, you hear the story of a father who lost a child. And, and now I want you to hear again what the gospel says. The gospel says... That God so loved you that he gave his natural son so that the very ones who murdered his son might be adopted in. The father's going to take those murders in and make them his children. That's the gospel. The gospel says, I'm going to send my son to the earth. You will murder him and I will take those murderers and make them mine. My sons and my daughters. And, and the amazing part of the love of God is he didn't lose his son. He gave his son. He gave his son willingly for us so that we who would murder his sons might be made the children of God. And now you get what John's saying. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. That that's what the Father did to make us his children. He adopted us into his family and into his home. And listen, when the Father did that, he's not looking at us funny. There's no wrath left up in his heart. He did this because he loved us so. See how great the love of the Father is. That he loved you so dearly and deeply that he would willingly give up his son for your sake. And now, as he's made you his own, he shows no favoritism like no parent would between their natural son and their adopted son. So likewise, the father looks on you with all the pleasure and delight that he looks upon his own son, Jesus Christ. This is why adoption is so beautiful. This is why we champion adoption and encourage adoption and applaud adoption and cheer for adoption. Because it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because when a Christian adopts, he's saying, as the Father took me who was foreign and made me his own, so now I take you. And as the Father took me and made me his child, so I make you my child. As the Father brought me in and gave me a family, so now I bring you in and give you a family. As the Father has met my every need, and in fact, more than that, wrote me into his own will and is going to give me an inheritance, which is all the universe. It's going to belong to me. So now I write you into my will. I give you all things. Everything I have is yours. This is why adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel.
Now, while adoption is a fitting and appropriate picture, analogy, metaphor of what God does for us, 1 John 2 and 3 in this text is going to tell us that what God does for us is adoption and more than adoption. That what God does for us, he's going to tell us at least two significant ways in which what God does for us is even greater than adoption. It's even more than adoption. That God is able to do what even adoption on our realm can't do. What God does for us is greater. Let me give you an example to sort of get you to understand. If I adopt a child from China, a little girl from China, if I go through all the legal paperwork and now she belongs to me, she is legally my child, she is mine, I can give her my name, I can give her a family, I can give her my possessions, I can give her a home, I can give her love, I can show no partiality between her and the siblings so that no outsider should ever be able to know how I treat one versus the other. All of them, all my children would be the same. No one would be able to tell except for what? Except the fact that no matter how much I love her, she's going to look Chinese, and I'm going to look Indian, and my natural children are going to look Indian as well. Right? No matter how, how much I can give her, what I can't transfer is genes. I can't transfer DNA. I can't transfer those things, right? I, I read a story this week of, of two adopted, one adopted boy who was with his sibling and his mother. They were in the grocery store. A stranger came by, as often does, and remarked how the two boys didn't look the same. And this adopted six-year-old piped back, I'm adopted. That means that we're in the same family, but we don't have the same face, right? And that's how we understood adoption. And as beautiful and as fitting and as appropriate as adoption is, the truth is I can give this child my name, but I can't give her my skin color. Right? I can give her my life. I can't give her my eyes. I can't give her my hair. I can't give her my genes. I can't transmit or transfer DNA. I can't put my nature in her. And yet John says... That is exactly what God does in his adoption. You see, what God does for us is adoption, and it's more than adoption. You see, God is even greater because what he does is he is going to do two things. One, he's going to make us look like his own son. And two, he's going to put his very nature in us. Let me show you that quickly. First, we will look like his son, Jesus Christ. When a newborn is born, I want you to think about this for a second. If there are other siblings, when people come to visit the newborn, they always try and figure out which the kid looks like, mom or dad. But once they're done with that, they'll often also say, he looks exactly like his older brother. Right? He looks exactly like your other son. They'll compare between the siblings as well. And what John is going to say is, that when God adopts us into his family, when we consider the love of God that has made us the children of God, and so we are, God goes a step further in that he makes us look like his natural son. The promise of the gospel is you will look more and more like Jesus Christ. 
You will bear a family resemblance to the point that you are being changed in your appearance to look more and more like him. The scriptures say in Genesis, we were made in the image and likeness of God. But then because of sin, that image was ruined. We didn't reflect God rightly. But because of his love, God sent Jesus to the cross and rose again and gave his Holy Spirit in us so that now we who are in Christ are being remade into the image of God, into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We're becoming like him. This is what the Bible calls in this big word called sanctification. All sanctification is it's this Latin word that means sanctus or holy. And because we don't have a word like holification, we've got sanctification. That just means you're becoming more holy. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. That less and less of you looks still like the old you and more and more of you looks like Jesus. Listen to how John says it. Look at 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's what John says. John says, look, beloved, we are God's children now. And then he says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So what God is doing with you, your soul, you struggling saints who feel like you're just so down and so not like Christ, hear this encouragement from him. What God is doing in you has not yet even appeared. Like John doesn't even try to guess what the final version of you is going to be. The glorified you is going to be. The, the you when this body will no longer be prone to sickness or death. The you when your mind is going to be pure light and there's going to be no darkness and no deceit and no lies. The you that has that clean heart, not spotted and stained and defiled and divided, but rather undefiled and pure in devotion and love for God. That version of you, John doesn't even have words for it yet, of what God is in the process of making of you. What we will be has not yet appeared, but then he says, but we know this, that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, what we do know is this, that when he comes again, finally and forever, we will be like Christ. As he is without sin, we will be without sin. As he is pure, we will be pure. As he is blameless in his character, righteous in every way, so will we be also. The good news that John is saying is when he adopted us, he did more than adoption. He's conforming us to the image of his son. Think of that. The Bible holds out this promise that says, look, day by day, you're wasting away outwardly, right? You that are getting older and older, you know it. Your body doesn't work the way that it does. You're wasting away. But inwardly, the scriptures say, day by day, we're being renewed. And we look a little bit more like Jesus than we did five years ago. And we'll look a little bit more like Jesus 10 years from now than we do now. Every day, he's renewing us and conforming us to the image of his son. I want you to think about this for a second. When you came to Christ, when you first believed, the Bible calls that justified. In a moment, you were made right with God. You were declared righteous. You had no righteousness of your own, but you hid your life in faith in Christ so that when God looked at you, he looked at his own son through you. Okay? I want you to hear that. 
God delighted in you the moment you came to faith because he could see you in Jesus. Hear that again. He delighted in you because from the moment you believed, he could see you in Jesus. You were hidden in him. Jesus' righteousness stood in your place. But now the gospel goes even further and says there's more good news. Because after you were justified, became, began this lifelong process by which you're being conformed. And now, would you hear me? The Father delights to look at you because now he sees Jesus in us. He first saw us in Jesus, but now he's actually seeing Jesus in us. That means I wasn't just, I'm not just hidden in Christ, but now I'm becoming more and more like Christ. He delighted in us because he saw us in Jesus. Now also he delights in us because he sees Jesus in us. My character, your character is being changed so that we might more and more look like Christ. The good news of the gospel is we're not just positionally in Christ. We are actually becoming more like Christ. And the Father is looking at us and hear this. He's seeing the contours of his own son being pressed down on your image. The, the contours of your own character is being changed more and more to reflect who Jesus is. He sees more of his own son in you now than when you first believed. What a glorious and good thought that in his adoption, he actually makes us look like our older brother, Jesus Christ. He didn't just bring us in. He's now transforming us and conforming us to the image of his own son. And so God does this by his Holy Spirit, and we participate as well, right? We, we fight sin. We repent of our sin. We pursue holiness. Verse 3 is going to say, everyone who hopes in this purifies himself as he is pure. So you've got this hope that he's coming. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to pursue that holiness with all your might, and as you work and as the Spirit works day by day, you look more and more like Jesus. So that's the question for you. Is, is your image looking more and more like Christ? Are you in your character, hear me, different than when you first believed? It's not are you without sin, but if you look back to who you were five months ago, five years ago, is there a difference? Are you not as jealous as the way you were jealous then? Not as angry as you were when you were angry then? Not as lustful as you were in the ways you were lustful then? Do you see a progressive change? If you do, it's a good indication that he has adopted you and is conforming you to the image of his son. But second and finally, there's one more way in which what God does for us is adoption and more than adoption. It's that he puts his very nature in us. He transfers, transmits, as it were, his own spiritual DNA into our soul. Look at verse 9 and 10. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hear me. What John does is, John says, look, there's no doubt that children resemble their parents. 
There's no doubt that you will look like your father. The only question in this text is, who's your father? There's no doubt that you're going to look like dad. The only question is, who's dad? Whose son or daughter are you? And for John, there's only two possible answers. What John is doing is he's almost administering for us a paternity test so that we can know who dad is, whose kid we are. And for John, there's only two possible fathers. That shouldn't surprise us. Everything in John is very stark. If John had a least favorite color, it would be gray because he likes everything black and white. That's how he sees everything. If you've read through 1 John with us or if you've heard our preaching, you've seen that before. You're either walking in darkness or you're living in the light. You're either hiding your sin or you're confessing your sin. You're either receiving Christ or you're rejecting Christ. You're either full of love or you're full of hate. You're either an authentic Christian or you're a counterfeit. You see that all over the place. We could keep going. Everything for John is this or that. So it should be no surprise that when it comes to being a child, John says, you're either the child of God or you're the child of the devil. Now, before you crucify John as a religious fanatic, how dare he look at any of us and call us the children of the devil? That is religious fanaticism at its worst. I want you to hear, if you're mad at John, who you're truly mad at is Jesus. Because John is literally just parroting what Jesus said. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, Jesus is the one who lines up the world and says, you're either children of God or children of the devil. And John's just borrowing the language of his best friend and Savior and Lord and saying, here we are. We're either the kids of God or we're the children of the devil. And so here's the question for John. How do you know whose kid you are? Well, it goes back to this simple fact of life. Who do you look like? Because children resemble their father. Who do you look like? And for John, this is going to show up in how you relate to sin. Because the children of God relate with sin differently than the children of the devil. John, this is going to show up in how do you relate to sin. It's not a question of is there going to be any sin. No, we all have sin. You only have to read John's letter. In 1 John 1, he's already said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have sin. The question is, how do you deal with that sin? Because the authentic Christian hates his sin fights his sin, confesses his sin, repents and turns from his sin. The counterfeit, John's going to say, lives in his sin, loves his sin, is in habitual, ongoing, unrepentant, unchecked, a pattern of sin in his life. And John's going to say, that is going to show whose child you are. Look at what he says, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. We'll go through this quickly and we'll be done. No one who abides in him, that's in God, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Hear me again. No one who abides in him, no one who belongs to God, keeps on sinning. And the important phrase there is keeps on. It's not that we don't sin, it's that you keep on sinning. There's this habitual, unchecked, unrepentant, ongoing, tolerated, managed sin in your life. You're not at war with it, you've signed a treaty with it. You're at peace with it. It's just a part of who you are. And that lie means that you're abiding in sin. And he says no one who keeps on sinning abides in him. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What John's saying is, look, there were counterfeits. Remember, that's why he wrote this letter. 
counterfeits who were going around saying, it doesn't matter how you live, we're in. We've already made this profession. If it were today, they'd say, look, we've already got the water of baptism. We go to church. We take communion. We're in. And John's saying, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. It's not just a profession of your lips. You want to know who's righteous? Consider who practices righteousness. It's not just about what you profess with your mouth. It's does your life keep in step with the profession of your mouth? Let no one deceive you. And then he says, verse 8, you want to know what the characteristics of the children of the devil are? Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he says, look, if your life is in a pattern of ongoing, unrepentant, habitual, tolerated, managed sin, you bear a family resemblance to your father who has been sinning from the beginning. If your life is marked by sin, then you look like dad. And the children of daddy devil have been sinning from the beginning. Your evil nature says that you have a nature that is like the evil one. John's saying that's just a simple fact of spiritual life. Children will look like dad. Now on the other hand, if you're a child of God, look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I want you to hear that one more time, because John says something very important here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What God does for us, hear me, this is the last thing and I'll stop. What God does for us is adoption and it's more than adoption. It's more than adoption in that he's transforming us to look like his son. We're foreign children that are now becoming more and more like the family. How does he do it? It says here, no one born of God keeps on sinning because God's seed is in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. You know, John uses this very almost bold, almost graphic metaphor. I was sort of figuring out whether or not to give this tidbit, tidbit to you, but I'll trust that you'll understand. You know, the, the literal word that's used here is sperma. And as soon as you hear it, you understand what John's saying. God's seed is in you. Now, you've got to immediately understand the scriptures tell us that God doesn't have a body. Right? God doesn't have a body. He's spirit. In fact, God had to take on a body in Jesus Christ to become flesh. God doesn't have a body. Yet, he uses this metaphor so that we understand exactly what he's saying. He's saying, no one born of God can keep on sinning because God has put his sperma, his seed in you. That is that God has, through the Holy Spirit, when you came to faith, put in his spiritual code, his DNA, his very nature into you so that you cannot look like the devil and be a child of God at the same time. You have the nature of the DNA within you. And it's evidenced by the fact of how do you look. Listen to me. My children had no shot of being seven foot two and white. That was not possible. That was not in the cards for them. That's not in what my nature has put into them. That's not possible for them to look that way because they're going to look like me because my nature's in them. 
And John's saying, if you're a child of God, you can't keep on sinning. Not that you don't just want to. You can't do it because he's rewritten who you are. He's changed your very nature. You can't look like a child of the devil and be a child of God because he's now put himself in you. He's rewired you. He's adopted you, but it's more than adoption. Because now he took these children of the devil and put his very nature in them and through that is conforming them to look more and more like his son. Perhaps now you say with John, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. Not stepchildren who are kept to the side, real children. Real children who look just like father and just look exactly like father's own natural son. And John says, it's plain. You want to know who you belong to, who do you look like? That's what he says in verse 10, and this is the, the last verse. By this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's how John ends. It's plain, it's clear, it's evident. By this, it's evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Who do you look like? Because you're going to resemble dad. And if there is a practice of sin in your life, if there's ongoing sin in your life, then you evidence that you are a child still of the world and of God's enemy, and in the end, you have reason to shrink back in shame. On the other hand, if God's adopted you and has put his seed in you, put his Holy Spirit in you, changed your very nature, conformed you to the image of his son so that one day when he appears, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Then it's the evidence that you belong to God and that you are his child and you are an authentic Christian. If you're here, hear me and you are a Christian, would you let your heart swell up with thanksgiving and praise just right now? Would you think again of the love of the Father that he made you a child, not a cute little orphan. That's not what you were. You murdered his son, and he took you in. He gave his son so that you who would murder his son would become his sons. And he did more than adopt you. He put his spirit in you, put his nature in you, and is working even now through his spirit to conform you to look more and more like Christ. And he gave you the book of 1 John so that you could have confidence and assurance. I really am in. If, if this roof were thrown open and the Lord Jesus descended right now, I could look him in the eye and I could have confidence and my eyes and your eyes might be moist with tears, even sorrow for present sin, but that's exactly it. There'd be sorrow. Sorrow because you hate your sin because you love him. And he knows you still belong to him and you belong, and he belongs to you. Or if this roof opened, would you have reason to shrink back in shame? If you're here and you're not sure if I am truly a child of God, then I want to invite you this morning and say to you, this father so loved you so much that he gave his son precisely, 
paid a great price, traveled a great distance to adopt you and bring you home and make you his child. And your natural father is a wicked and cruel one. He'll give you everything you want and nothing you need. And he'll, he'll take your soul till he has it ruined forever with him. And today, the father is inviting you a new family and a new home. It comes by repenting of your sins, trusting in Christ. Sin is lawlessness, so you turn from lawlessness and you turn in faith to Christ. And you see the one who died in your place for your sins and you put your life on him and you trust in him. And you can walk out of this room a child of God. If that's you, I want to even encourage you. Talk with someone. Talk to me. If you've got questions, ask them. Because you can leave here his child. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's pray. We say, Father, and we pause even there, O oh God, to know that the right to call you Father came because you gave your son Jesus for us. You sent your natural son into the world, your only begotten son, because you loved us so much that you would make us your sons. So we say to you, Father, we give you thanks for your word, thanks for the kind of love that has called us the children of God and made us the children of God. We thank you, Lord, for putting your spirit in us that we might be transformed and conformed into your own image. We pray that you would be with every struggling saint and give them strength even now as they wait in hope to become like you, to purify themselves, to work hard for holiness, to fight sin, we pray for those who even now sense that your spirit might be calling to their hearts. Let them turn from their wicked father and come home. You sent your son to bring them in, and I pray that everyone would. We ask now that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak to our hearts in ways that are more powerful than my own breath, and that you would minister to us as you know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.